The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. And gentlemen, welcome to Lady Skull Part 2, or Super Skull issue number 151 for the week of July 27th of 2017. I am your host for the day. My name is Rachel Polk. I am joined by Amanda Reyes Aquino. Hello. Hello. You look lovely today. Ugh. Thanks. <laughs> it's, it's been a while since we've had your wonderful voice on this podcast. You know, I've really missed it. I've yeah? Really missed it. Have you really? Yeah, actually, I really like doing this. Oh, I think it's awesome. really great. I'm so glad that you yeah. got to join us. I'm also joined uh, by Claire Herding. Hello. Who has also been on Lady Skull before. Yes. Yes. Um, and I am also joined by Charlie Tucker. Hello. Who is a veteran at this point. <laughs> it's been many times. I've done it at least three times now. Uh, it's like five now at really? this point. I think so. We've We've definitely called you when we've had to talk about manga. Um, so, uh, if you have never listened to, to Super Skull, welcome. We are not your normal hosts. Um, it's been a couple of months since we've done an all-lady episode, and last time we did it, we, uh, made a big of a, a bit of a big deal about it to, hey, send us your questions, we'd love to answer them as, um, a bunch of women who work in the comic book industry. Moving on, uh, there has been a ton of comic book news. San Diego Comic-Con was this past weekend, um, and a lot of stuff got announced, and a lot of, like, trailers got dropped, and a lot of, like, changes in how uh, some companies want to structure things, and this, that, and the other thing. Eisner Awards. Oh, the Eisner Awards were huge. We're not going to talk about almost any of that. (laughs) woo Because we have better things to do. We like other things. We like a lot of stuff. Um... But one of the um, kind of one of the bigger things that um, happened during San Diego Comic Con um, was Captain Marvel. Yes, Captain Amanda. Marvel. It Woo. sounds like you really want to talk about this. Uh, she's my favorite superhero. Yeah. Um, she's so cool, and they're finally making a movie, and they gave us some uh, some art from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's set in the 90s, so that should be <laughs> cool. badass. There's going to be in a- space with scrolls. Woo. I'm super into that. And scrolls are, like, very scary, and they pretend to be other things, and I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah. I've been looking forward to, like, a secret invasion type movie since, like, the start of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Absolutely. That's really awesome. The other, so the one of the other bigger things that we're very excited about with San Diego Comic Con um, was the X Men grand design kind of thing that's that's going on. Uh, Charlie, yeah, this is they announced X Men grand design at San Diego Comic Con, which is a six issue miniseries that's covering the entire history of X Men. So essentially, each issue will be an entire decade. 
released probably sometime in the fall. I don't think we have an exact date yet. Uh, the exciting thing is about this is they got Ed Piscor to do this, who is famously known for doing the Hip Hop Family Tree series, yes. which is like history of hip hop. So I think it's perfect. They released some concept art and some like covers and stuff like that. You can go look it up. The art is incredible. It's like super retro looking. I'm so excited yeah there's been a big push on x-men books lately and i think they've done a pretty good job like revamping the x-men and i think that this is like something that marvel's never done before so Mm -hmm. i'm excited to see it and they could do theoretically the same thing with so many other different things so Mm -hmm. but i think that it's super important for x-men because holy cow there's a lot of x-men there's so much and and six issues is going to be it's a lot of ground to cover (laughs) yeah but i'm very excited and i honestly couldn't think of anybody else and if you want to kind of get a feel for what's to come i mean everybody should read hip-hop family tree Mm because it's amazing um but even if you don't like hip-hop you should read hip-hop family tree it doesn't even matter it's just a great yeah piece of art Mm -hmm. it's so good that is super exciting i am very much looking forward to that I definitely love me some X-Men. Yeah. Um, did, did you guys see Spider-Man? Not uh, yet. Oh, my God. I'm so super ashamed Spider-Man fan. I don't know fan. how you haven't seen it yet, Claire. Yeah. It's, Trevor has zero interest in seeing it. Your husband? Yeah. Oh, my God. Just you're just a strong, independent yourself. woman. I'm sorry for <laughs> ragging on you, Trevor. <laughs> you know, surprisingly, I had a lot of people, I, I think, like, the week before the movie came out, I was so so excited to see this movie so like every customer was like are you gonna go see spider-man are you gonna see spider-man because i was super excited but i got a lot of customers surprisingly telling me that they didn't really care because they were like well i'm burnt out on spider-man movies and like i don't really care about spider-man i mean they've been proven wrong i can't it's kind of surprising to me that i mean i thought that i was super hyped for it but Mm -hmm. i it was a great movie too so i hope all those people Mm -hmm. get a chance to go see it yeah, I'm burnt out on Spider-Man. But you know what movie I'm not burnt out on and I could see like a billion more times? Do tell. Is it Baby Driver? No, I haven't seen I could that see one Baby yet. Driver about a thousand <laughs> No, more times. I was talking about Wonder Woman. Oh god, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That was a wonderful movie. And we we are a comic book podcast, so we probably shouldn't spend that much time on it, but we are a group of four women who really, really, really enjoyed that movie. Really, really, really For a lot it. of reasons. Many. Um, Amanda, didn't you, like, cry? Yeah, I cried, like, multiple times during the movie. And then uh, because I went at a time where there were not very many people in the theater, I sat in the theater after everyone left for at least five minutes crying to myself. Out of happiness. Because no, it was so beautiful. That is... I, I, yes, I... Yep cried too yeah me too mm-hmm. charlie <laughs> i really loved it and i heard that they are also like gonna put more one they like immediately filmed more wonder woman scenes to put into the justice league movie because it was as they should that well received too so um i'm excited and they just announced that the sequel is coming out in 2019 i'm so excited. so that's also super far away mm-hmm. but i mean it's i'm looking forward to it it's gonna be awesome and justice league is like crazy soon so yeah Just i have more say, wonder woman on the way it's so good yes i had, i do have to say that wonder woman has um motivated me to go to the gym more <laughs> all of those amazonians are so ripped 
It's crazy. A lot of the people they hired for the background actors for the the Amazon women were uh, CrossFit people. Yeah, I, man, you can just like I competitors. Anyway, let's stop talking about movies. Let's start talking about some comics. Every week, we read all the comic books. It's a lot of comic books. But we read all of them, and then we decide which ones are the best ones, and these we call our big picks. Um, If you are hoping to start a new series, if you want a number one to dive right into, or if you've never read comics and you just want, like, a good place to start right at the beginning, this is what we're here for. This is the thing that we do. These are the big picks. Amanda, would you like to go first? Oh, geez. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm very, very excited about my pick. Yeah. Uh, I've been looking forward to this book ever since I heard that it was going to be made. Uh, It is By Chance or Providence by Becky Cloonan, who does the writing and the pencils and inks, and then Lee Lowridge, who does all the coloring. So this book was originally published in black and white, just Becky Cloonan's art, as three mini comics. And then Clunan self-published it as a hardcover, uh, which I own this hardcover. (laughs) And you guys, I lent it to a friend who did some research because she wanted to own it and found out that this book sells for over $300. Oh, my God. Yeah. How did you come by it? Like, how did you... How did you when get the she, hardcover? When she published the hardcover, we sold them in Vault of Midnight. That's and awesome. And I grabbed one because it's beautiful. Uh, it's this fantastic fantasy comic, and it's haunting and beautiful, and you get drawn into these short little stories, and they just stick with you like nothing else that I've ever read. It's so what is, the, what is the premise of this book? So there are three different stories. There's the Meyer, Wolves, and Demeter. Uh, and each of them talk about the three different stories that are completely self... Uh, self Contained. Contained, mm-hmm. there's the word. Um, wolves is about a guy who kills a werewolf. Um, but he's cursed. And you find out what his curse is in that. And then the mire is about this young kid who is sent to this castle in the forest by his knight. He's a squire. And he discovers something very haunting there. That was probably my favorite. It's really great. I really like Demeter, actually. I think that That one was my favorite. favorite. Uh, And that one is about a man who had drowned and then was brought back to life by his significant other. And there's something haunting them. Mm. And it's beautiful. <laughs> I'm really impressed by, like, how short all these stories are and how, like, much they drew me in, like you were saying. Like, something that short should not, you know, like, it's impressive that it was able to make me care for the characters so much and be so invested in the story. Yeah, it's some fabulous, like, world building even and just that mm-hmm. those short little minutes where you're like, oh, wow, I can see where all this is going and I just want more of this. The whole book has this, like, overall, like, it's super romantic, not in this kind of, like, 
love romantic type way, but everything like their writing is very poetic and Becky Cloonan's art is like, I, I think it's like the best I've ever seen her art is like in these short, short stories and the coloring on top of it, like adds a whole level of dimension, but um, it just makes you feel a lot. I would say. <laughs> yeah. Romantic is a very good word for it. Kind of gothic romance. Yeah. Um, it's definitely creepy. It's definitely like um, spiritual in the sense of of uh, mythology, I would say. Mm-hmm. And like, and yeah, the word that keeps coming back is it's a beautiful book. Like, how it would really you describe is. this art style? Um, it's dark. She's got pretty thick line work mm-hmm. quite often, but it's wonderful wonderful it's it's very it's it's kind of cartoony though at the same time it is yeah you know it's not like hyper detailed it's not very rough i feel Mm -hmm. i feel like all the customer all the customers all the characters like (laughs) really uh like very soft yeah it's almost it's liquid i was gonna say it's 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 very wet really well textured too Yeah. yeah And then the the like last third of the book is all these amazing sketches and concept art that she did mm. for this and for other some other things as well. And that is that alone is like I want to buy yeah. two copies of this book so that I can uh, tear it apart <laughs> and frame it. No, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. I want there's like a couple of different pages in there specifically that I want to just have prints of in my home. Yep. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, There's also, I have to say, one of the first pages right before you actually start, it says, there's just one page that says, dedicated to those of you with crushes on your characters. (laughs) (laughs) And I, uh, I really love that. It's a, because I'd imagine if you're, you're creating all these stories, maybe you would, you'd develop, you know, a thing for one of them. Yeah. I know we develop, (laughs) I know I've developed crushes on characters that I've read, so that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And and like all the people in it are very beautiful, like yeah. all of the men are very handsome and all of the women are very beautiful and, and like and when they are supposed to be a character that is ugly, like they make them look wicked. Yeah, it's I mean it's very purposeful character design. It's very well done. Yeah. Um, what kind of people would you recommend this book to? I mean, I would recommend it to anyone. <laughs> sure, but like, who are the people uh, ideally, that are specifically... I I would say that anyone anyone who loves fantasy, uh, anyone who likes character driven stuff, or even like horror, because it's it's pretty haunting in a lot of yeah. ways. Um, maybe yeah. maybe not. Small, I even feel like children, I mean, though. like in Grand Rapids, like we we have a couple of art schools nearby, and we always get a lot of. Like students coming in that may not be looking for necessarily just a comic book series to get down and to mm-hmm. read to, but they're just looking for art. <laughs> yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. somebody could enjoy this book that it's not necessarily because it, it doesn't even read almost like a comic book. I mean, it's the narrative is all. I feel like a lot of the narrative is done like kind of like uh, it's all just people like narrating their own stories and it's all kind of in their head and thoughts, but it's very poetic. And I think like for a lot of people just coming in and maybe like it could be perfect for somebody who's just never read a comic book before because it it kind of approaches a lot of different formats that aren't just comic book type of storytelling it's really neat yeah i would definitely hand it to anybody that enjoyed monstrous oh yeah yeah absolutely and that's like a pretty big comic right now 
Yeah. But it's definitely that, like, emphasis on the artwork and its storytelling through the artwork rather than the narrative that's there. Because the actual dialogue in it is very limited. There are not many words in there. Nope. So it's good for people who are lazy and don't like to read, like me. <laughs> Ratings for chumps. Also, Becky Cloonan can draw a real great sword. Becky Cloonan can draw real great. She does. Yeah. She's so have awesome. You guys, have you guys um, had the chance to read her Conan run? With yes. Brian Wood? Oh my gosh, it's so good. Good. It's one of the few Conan things that I've ever read. Maybe the only Conan thing I've ever read Gosh. solely because of Becky Cloonan. Mm. Yeah. She's so good at fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. She knows what's up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you guys see the little like mini short like funny comic she put in the very back of it too? Yeah. Because it's pretty great. Of when of she this book? Yeah. yeah. No, I didn't see that. <laughs> she sees somebody in like, maybe, on the, like subway. the subway or something who looks like the character from Wolves, and she's just like, oh, my God, it's him. It's him. <laughs> this morning on the subway, I was minding my own business when I look over there. Holy shit, it looks just like him. The Hunter from Wolves, which is the first short story in this book. Oh, my God, he's staring at me. So I clutch my bag and stare harder until he gets off the train. <laughs> Another job well done. <laughs> and the way she draws herself in it's it, really it's, it's really great. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, this is... This is gorgeous. Yes. It is a very apt big pick. Thanks. Well done. Uh, that is By Chance or Providence by Becky Cloonan um, and published through Image Comics. Wonderful. Excellent. Um, Charlie, would you like to tell us about your big pick? I'm so excited to talk about my big pick. Oh, good. Um, I'm so excited for you. I It was kind of something that I didn't really expect. There was a lot of good stuff out this week. And I read through a bunch of number ones, a uh, couple of graphic novels, and the thing that really stuck with me the most, actually, was Doom Patrol number seven from DC's Young Animal imprint. Charlie, that's not um, a number one. It's not a number one, How I know. How dare you? I, I was so worried that I sent everybody a message <laughs> at like 12.30 in the middle of the night and was like, this is my big pick. Is this okay? Is and I was still one? up but reading Cora. I, I don't I know like, if yeah, any of us responded. I had to talk about it. Um, so it, it, I will, I, I will start off by saying that it's uh, a perfect jumping on point for anybody that wants to uh, read Doom Patrol or just wants to read a great book in general. Uh, so my history with Doom Patrol, especially Young Animals version, is I read the first. I think it, it came out last year, maybe like late summer of last year, and I read the first two issues. And while I like them, I don't know. I, I, I never really stayed with the series i know that they have had some kind of publication troubles and it usually takes you know an extended amount of time to release issues and somewhere along the way i just kind of fell off doom patrol number seven came out and it immediately caught my eye because this is an issue drawn by michael allred um so it's written by gerard way art by michael allred and colored by michael allred's wife laura allred um, we all know Mike Allred from currently. He's doing Bug the Forager, also from the Young Animal imprint from DC, mm-hmm. as well. He's been doing Silver Surfer for many years. He's got this very like uh, pop arty kind of style. Mm-hmm. It looks very retro, very Jack Kirby inspired. Yeah, if you saw uh, it, you know exactly what it is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, he's great, and um, I think that his art was just like the perfect fit. And I just love Mike Allred, so I was like, you know, I'm gonna jump back into doom patrol i know that the first volume the first six issues actually just came out i think last month so i thought it would just kind of be a a good time to just just dive back into it and 
it was amazing. It was one of it was one of my favorite books I've read in a little while as far as um uh some of the especially the young animal stuff, which has been really good, but I think Doom Patrol definitely stands out from the bunch. Um so Doom Patrol, if you're just kind of coming into it, is actually a reboot of an old Grant Morrison series. Never read it before. I've heard wonderful things about it. Definitely want to go back and read it, but it's essentially kind of this like ragtag group of individuals with superpowers and they kind of form this team together. And it's kind of meant to be like this kind of offbeat superhero story, sort of like the alternative to like your Avengers and Justice League. Um, In this issue, particularly, there's a guest appearance by this guy named the Chief, who is the actual founding father of the original doom patrol who he's hasn't been in the street creep. <laughs> he's, such a, he's so funny so he shows up out of nowhere and literally out of nowhere in the bushes <laughs> with where, binoculars hanging at the mall just like blowing off some steam going shopping at the mall <laughs> and he approaches these two characters of the doom patrol and it's like what up i'm in control now and of course why not just say yes they just went for it and he organizes this this mission. Um, this is definitely like a very like outer space type adventure book. Um, it's done in the style of a lot of like retro 60s sci-fi. Like if you were a fan of um, like Lost in Space, even some of it like reminded me of like Scooby-Doo even. Mm-hmm. Um, like everybody's talking in exclamation points and like <laughs> just being very blunt. And it's like written in this very like kind of plain way, but it's really funny they go on this expedition to uh hunt uh find this alien race called the scants and they sneak sneak into people's minds scants <laughs> scants 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 it's great and, uh, they they live in the scantiverse <laughs> and they what they do is they inject bad ideas into people's brains and they it's wait. It's like us. If incubate those bad ideas, and when those bad ideas turn in, like you know, eventually the humans start to believe that they're good ideas, and it like produces this like uh, substance that they're able to like mine, and they're they basically survive off of like filling the minds of humans with bad ideas. It's really wild. Um, so they go to the Scantiverse, and the chief is riding in this little airmobile that looks essentially. It's like basically a giant playstation controller (laughs) yeah and he's like riding around in it and uh he sets the doom patrol loose and all these hilarious things ensue it's really good obviously if you're reading like i think if you're reading michael red silver surfer it felt just like reading that i was really surprised in gerard way's writing like he really definitely gets that kind of like very uh it's just kind of tongue-in-cheek humor Mm -hmm. i guess very 60s um i love the series i definitely want to go back i think i'm going to read the first trade get the first six issues again and just kind of see what i missed Mm because i think i wrote it off at the beginning but i was super impressed with this issue and anyone could jump in i i have very limited knowledge of the doom patrol but i think like anyone could enjoy this i think it could very well be like you know almost for any age too which is very cool yeah i definitely got that while reading it it's I'm sorry, go ahead. It's it's so, like, weird. I, like, anyone can totally jump in because not just, like, because, like, oh, this is the start of an interesting event, but also just because all of it 
is kind of so weird and goofy. It's not really made to make sense. Yeah. So really, you can jump in anywhere. And if things don't seem like they make total sense, it's it's kind of on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anyway. I don't think anything makes sense to the characters in the book either. They're all very confused by what is going on. <laughs> but I mean, no one even... ever questions it either. They're just I like, know. okay, this is the thing now. <laughs> the scans are All right. <laughs> yeah, and even if you read, like, I've read some of the original Grant Morrison stuff, and it just, you know, in Grant Morrison in general, it doesn't Weird. really make a lot of sense. So, like, you don't have to read the original Grant Morrison stuff to start reading this new run because they're both very unique entities that are very self-contained and very uh, weird. And this new run doesn't rely on like the nostalgia yeah. of the old yeah, yeah. run. So like it really even... doesn't. It has a lot of the same characters who are fantastic, but um, like I think that it it really just sort of appeal, appeals to everybody. I feel like so. Yeah. Um, awesome. I will say that Mike Allred only does the art, I believe, for this one issue. After this, it does go back to the original artist, uh, Nick Darrington, who also does an incredible job. So I'm kind of excited to see uh, issue eight when it comes out. And it's supposedly coming out next month. I think they it's been probably three months since the late, last issue to come out, but I think they're kind of slated to get back on track. So it's yeah. a good time to just start reading right now. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that is a wonderful book. Doom Patrol, issue number seven by DC Comics and the All Reds. And Gerard Way. And Gerard Way, yeah. who is probably morphing into an All Red as we speak. <laughs> I mean, I just feel All like if you spend enough, enough time with them, you're going to turn into one. That's definitely not a bad thing. No. <laughs> Claire, did you have a big pick? Did you read anything? Oh, I read so much. Yeah? But I knew uh, from the start. What my big pick would be. You knew what your big pick would be about four months ago. Yeah. Cheater. Uh, well, yeah. But, I mean, it could have been even before that, but it just took them a while to get the actual date. Mm-hmm. So this is a thing I have been waiting for for over two years. And I'm You really look excited. like a little patient angel right now, just like <laughs> hunched over with your hands <laughs> clasped together, shaking with anticipation. So... More than two years after uh, one of my, actually, no, my all-time favorite TV show ended, that would be Legend of Korra, we finally get more Legend of Korra stories. This is the the first volume of it. It's Legend of Korra Turf Wars Part 1, and they're doing it like they've done the Avatar comics uh, that continue the Avatar TV series, and I mean Avatar The Last Airbender, not that Blue People movie. Shh. It doesn't exist. I resent that movie for making me have to always say Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> um, but, um, so hateful. You, so don't, much hate. you don't have to say the full, full thing if people know what you're talking about. I know, yeah. but I have to now assume because well, now everybody you goes, you mean the, the thing the about the blue people? But now I can just say Avatar. But anyways, uh, basically uh, when Avatar finished, they continued it with these... The blue people? <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're so cute. Um, but they continued it with these stories that would come out in three parts, and then they would make a wonderful hardcover. Um, so I'm excited for them to do that, this Korra book. Um, but uh, So I guess maybe I should warn people that technically this is like a little bit spoilery for the end of Legend of Korra. When did the Legend of Korra finish? Over two years ago. So if you haven't seen it, get, get on, on it. Get on it. 
Like, yeah. it's my all-time favorite TV show. It yeah. overtook uh, Firefly, and you guys know how obsessive Firefly fans are, so this was, like, a big deal. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. No, it's, like, a, it's, it's an amazing show, yeah. and I will fully admit that I didn't watch it until last year? This year. This year. When I made you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we sat on my couch and ate a bunch of ice cream and binged. All it of it. It was excellent. Yeah. But anyway, this comic... Yeah, um, so it takes place, like, literally right after the end of the show. At the end of the show, you see Korra and Asami uh, clasp hands and walk into the new spirit portal. So this picks up with them walking out of the spirit portal, and they go on their spirit vacation. And it's the best. It literally picks up where the TV show left off, yeah. as if it were the next frame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then, they, uh, as it goes on, you know, like, they have their vacation stuff, and... We start to learn more about how the new spirit portal is affecting Republic City and uh, the kind of things that are going down now that now that uh, things are a bit different with a giant spirit portal in the middle of the big city. Um, it's still uh, Michael. I have a hard time with his name sometimes. Michael Dante DiMartino. That's I probably a, said that wrong. That's a hell of a name. <laughs> um, he's still writing it, and he he wrote Avatar and Korra. Um, the art is by Irene Ko, um, and she has done some stuff. Um, she did a segment in The Secret Loves of Geek Girls. She did some TMNT books, that Casey and April book that came out. Um, but I think at least, well, I'm kind of biased, but to me this seems like the biggest thing she's done. Mm-hmm. And the art is wonderful. It's it's, it's different so than the show, but it's really cool. I like it a lot. And you can you can tell who everybody is. She captures all their mannerisms really great. Mm-hmm. Like there's one panel. I definitely and- feel like it evokes the same feeling of the show, but it's the art's so different and like I don't know it. I was really impressed with that. It's not like a super. I'm not super into Avatar. I haven't even seen the full series, but <gasps> I really liked that. Like it, it felt like I was reading. You know, it felt like it was definitely connected to the story. But as like somebody who mainly reads comic books, it was kind of cool to enjoy like a different part and a different art style. I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I like the way she she seems to have captured all of like the mannerisms and stuff of the mm-hmm. characters really well. Like, there's one panel where you uh, there's like a little meeting going on, and you can see this boy in kind of the foreground, and his hands up near his face, and it's Milo, and you know he's picking his nose because that's what he does. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I did not catch that. <laughs> it absolutely like like uh, people in the background who are just idly doing stuff, like, you can absolutely see their characters doing that thing in the show. I also noticed, like, halfway through, I, like, realized halfway through reading this book that all of the voice actors' voices are in my head You can the hear them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about reading books based off of, like, the cartoon mm-hmm. is I can just hear the voices. Yes, absolutely. I will, I will just always hear, like, Cora's voice a very specific way even in a comic but yeah, yeah it was excellent there um i was i was very happy with the fact that because it's a comic book they can do more things and address more things that they couldn't necessarily do in the com- in the tv show so yeah I mean, I, like, really want to talk about those things. Yeah. I think maybe we should. I think we should spoil it. Spoilers! I mean, it's, it's like, the second or third page. It's not No, it's, it's not like, too the bad. second page. Yeah. And everybody knows that it was going to happen. Yeah. So, do you want to just spoil it? Can I spoil it? Do we all spoil it at once? I mean, uh... <laughs> I so think Claire Col- should spoil yeah, it. Yeah. Go, go well, for it. Well, so, 
in the show, right? We got, you know, Korra kind of dating Mako and Asami kind of dating Mako. They both break up with him. And by the end of the show, everybody is hardcore shipping Korasami because, yeah. And <laughs> we finally get Korasami. They make one. out. They kiss. They it's kiss. the best. It's adorable. <laughs> it's so great. And it is. one of the biggest uh, plot uh, points in this book is them coming out to their parents and them coming like deciding do they want to come out to Republic City and it's like it's a, and their friends yeah, and stuff it's a big deal because they know that not everybody is going to accept them like it's it's very reflective of the world that we live in and how some people have to be very careful about that and it's like it it feels like a real relationship the whole time yes i was of two minds like I can understand how great it is to be able to see other people struggling in the same way, but I really wanted uh, their LGBTQ. I just wanted that to be normalized in this universe because I always prefer that. Some of the characters have, you know, it is a little normalized. They talk about um, a little bit of some of the different regions of the um, Avatar world and, and how they respond. To like LGBTQ issues, yeah, and stuff like that. Because yeah. like there are there are some people in the Water Tribe who were I'm not going to give away names, but they went to the Water Tribe. Some people there were super accepting of it, but were very cautious about it. Like they said, "Hey, if you guys are going to go around, maybe don't tell everybody because it's private. It's not necessarily their business." And we learned that that is Water Tribe culture. Family stuff is kept with the family. It is not necessarily about them being together as much as it is, like, family sticks with family. It's their business. Yeah, yeah it's their business. Nobody else really has to know. Fuck off. And the Air Tribe does not care either way. No. They're like, yeah, whatever. Like, everyone can Neat. just be now happy. Now can we take care of the thing that's dying? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Can we go bend some things? Yeah. It is a wonderful book that has been a long time coming. Yes. Yeah. It was announced two years ago, and when it was delayed a month last month, I was in tears. broken. <laughs> I swear to God you were going to cry. And then I was in tears yesterday when we received it, and I was like, it's here. Yes. It's a... Uh, that's excellent. Um, so... What is the creative team on this again? Uh, Michael Dante DiMartino. He's, you know, one of the or yeah. the original writer on mm-hmm. Avatar and Korra, and then Irene Coes, the um, uh, the artist too, yeah. and she's been doing a great job. Mm-hmm. And that and that one is published by Dark Horse Comics. Yes, excellent. The Legend of Korra by Dark Horse Comics, Turf Wars Part One. Uh, any idea how many books there are going to be? I'm assuming if they do it like Avatar, uh, it'll be. They'll do part one, part two, part three, and then that will wrap up the Turf Wars story in mm-hmm. which they'll make a nice hardcover that I will definitely buy. That sounds excellent. And then uh, hopefully, you know, if this does well enough, they'll, you know, do just like Avatar and do whatever the next story is. Mm-hmm. It'll have a new subtitle and they'll do the part one, part two, part three again. It's kind of confusing the way they do that. But, Meh. you know. Meh. It makes, it makes sense when you see it all on a shelf together. Yeah. So, Excellent. Thank you. Rachel, what was your big pick? Thank you. God. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm still thinking I'm about Korasami. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Amanda. You're I welcome. do have a big pick. I'm oh really my glad. God. Um, my big pick this week uh, was something that I would have never expected nor probably picked up off of a shelf if I... Um, 
if one of the specific creators hadn't caught my eye. Uh, this is called Solid State, and it is a brand new graphic novel. Uh, of course, somebody, well, oh shit, we all except for Charlie picked graphic novels. Mine's slightly little. But who Oops. is the most pretentious graphic novel? You do. Oh shit. All right. Well, it's like substitute Nick. I know. Damn it. I thought it was better than this. Um, this is a solid state by Jonathan Colton, Matt Fraction, Albert Montes, and Barbank. So Jonathan Colton is a musician. He does not make comic books. He has never made a comic book before. He's never written a comic book before. Um, but he is a musician who recently released an album called Solid State. It is a concept album that uh, is all about the internet and trolls and uh, artificial intelligence and uh, how, in the end, love and empathy will save humanity. That kind of thing. Um, what kind of music does he make? It's kind of like a jazzy pop type. All right. Alt rock, maybe. I maybe. don't know. Uh, I don't know genres very well, but it's somewhere <laughs> within those ones. Um, so he made that album, and then this book this graphic novel that he wrote with matt fraction is based off of that musical album um so this is like an accompanying comic uh to go along with the lyrics of this album that he released so does that mean i did it wrong by reading it and not listening to the album at the same time i didn't listen to the full album okay um and i got it just fine it's a really 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 awesome book um so uh, it's written by Matt Fraction. The story is by Jonathan Colton. But Matt Fraction, we know from Hawkeye, sex criminals, and pretty much everything else. He does a lot of stuff. Um, and then the art is done by this guy, Albert Montes, who is a Spanish comic creator. Um, and he worked on a weekly satirical magazine called El Juves. I don't that, know. You, you say it. El Jueves. That's now you have someone who can actually pronounce yeah, Spanish words you. on the pro- podcast. I did that very French and yep. completely oh, incorrect. <laughs> Say that again. El jueves. Thank you. Uh, Albert Montes has illustrated a lot of different stuff from RPGs to a web series that he is actually currently doing called Universe with an exclamation point. Universe. Yes. It. Um. You might have heard of it because it got nominated for an Eisner this year. Um, and it is through, it's, so it's a webcomic, and it is being published through Panel Syndicate, which is Brian K. Vaughn and Marco Martin's imprint. They are the people that put together Private Eye. Um, so it's, uh, Panel Syndicate is awesome. It is a pay-what-you-think-the-comic is worth, um, and you get to read a bunch of really, really cool stuff that they have on there. Um, but this specific book, Solid State, is... About, it's it's a bit hard to describe because it jumps timelines a bit in some ways. Um, it is about the same thing that his album was about. It's about internet and artificial intelligence and love and empathy and how it will change the world if you actually use it. Um, but it starts out with this dude in a spacesuit. And he has been hit on the head by something and it like, it breaks part of his helmet. And um, immediately you know something is very different about this world and, like, maybe uh, social media or something has kind of implemented its way into their lifestyle. Everybody's called Buddy. Everybody's called Buddy. 
And everybody. They, even, they yeah, they say everybody like yeah. buddy. Yeah. There's um like when they're trying to wake him up because he got hit on the head, people are saying, "Buddy, buddy, wake up. We need a medical buddy." <laughs> buddy is awake. And like, yeah, they're just like saying buddy all the time. But also they use like the thumbs up and thumbs down that you often see. Like upvotes and downvotes. Yeah. yeah, that you often see on social media, like the the little thumbs up in icon um, when they are happier when they're sad. So if, when something positive happens, they get like, they get upvotes or they get super upvotes or like, you know, there could be a bunch of them. Or if something, you know, unfortunate happens, it'll be a downvote. And so this guy gets hit on the head and... Um, this and poor you get, guy. Yeah. <laughs> and you get launched into this crazy world where, like, everybody wears these helmets all the time. Like, even when they sleep and, like, they can't actually take them off. But his helmet's broken now, so he can't... Uh, lift up the visor so he can't eat and like he can't take his pills and like all this stuff and it's a very he his job is he tracks the moon so every single day at the same time he walks up to this um he walks up to this crazy room that's full of all these um astrological instruments and a big old telescope and he tracks where the moon is in relation to where they are and he finds it to be incredibly pointless. And, like, it's a book in some ways about self-discovery because he realizes that he is kind of trapped in this artificial intelligent society where robots do everything and he doesn't know what it means to dream. Like, after he got hit on the head, he started having dreams, but he had, there was no word for it. He didn't know what to call it. So he, like, would describe it as... Like, you know those pictures that you get when you... Like how a kid would describe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's very archaic because that humanity has been lost. So that's part one of the story. And and then it, like, jumps around a bit to kind of... Uh, still the future, but more modern. Like, people are people. Closer and to present. Close, much closer to present. A bit more Star Trek-y. Um, where there's this dude that's a programmer and he works for a big company and they their company is under attack because um, the public thinks that they have gained too much private information. Like, you know, if you, if you plug your personal address into Facebook, that's on you. You did that. And that's kind of the argument that this, that this company is making. The company, the the CEO of that company is totally corrupt, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's corrupt and he's a jackass and all he wants is money and to rule the world and to be the the only one that has all this power. It, It just, the whole thing blew my mind, page after page. The artwork is amazing. It's very flat in some ways like there's not a lot of shading going on so everything's seems kind of one-dimensional but the panel work is what blew my mind um matt fraction's run of hawkeye was um with david aha was particularly well done and well received because of the panel work in that um that series and i see that again with this one, with the way that the panel is laid out, there's one particular panel where he is, the main dude is talking to his boss 
and they're they're not actually in a panel. Like they're on the white page. And um, his boss is on the left, he's on the right, they are facing each other. But above the dude's torso is a red panel that only encompasses from his shoulders up. And it it's bright red and it shows that he is angry. And the panel work in this book just has like this extra sense of time that is often lost in modern comics. Like it's it's awesome. I really liked the the panel work during the um when he's having that that conversation with like the IT customer service guy. Mm-hmm. The way it was like the thought or the speech bubbles were so separated from the customer service guy yes. to kind of show that like this guy's reading off a script. You know, like these two humans are not connecting. Yeah. Um it's just it's just a tree scripted conversation. Yeah. Felt it's, exactly like a normal, you know, Comcast call or whatever. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, there, uh, one of the tricks that is often done in this book is, um, if somebody is talking, they are split into two panels. The person is on the bottom panel, and whatever they are saying is on the panel above them. And it just it gives you a very interesting sense of time and mood, uh, because you realize that. Um, a lot of the times with modern comics, the word balloons are overlapped, which kind of gives you the sense of our conversation doesn't, it doesn't take you much time to respond to what I'm saying. Whereas if there is that separation of panels, like you have to think about what I'm saying and give a proper response to it. It doesn't feel like it was written out. It feels like they are talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think because so it's cool. not the way we're used to seeing the the comics panels, it accentuates like the disconnect between mm-hmm. the people. Yeah, you you definitely get this big sense of like there's just like this whole world is like this very like it's it's very like passive, but kind of passive aggressive at the same time. You know, nobody yes. actually yeah. swears. Like everyone just says dang all the time. Yeah. Like, oh, they don't say like cheese and beans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cheesy beans. And like, you know, people don't everyone's just a buddy and like even yeah. when they're being aggressive, they're still saying, Well, I need like a buddy for this and like it's yeah. like this very It's forced kindness. Passive aggressive world that I definitely felt like this like sense of suffocation while reading it too not to mention the fact that this guy literally is like i can't eat food because my stupid helmet's broken but like you just get this sense of like you cannot breathe in this world at all like it they the the way it was written and the the comic paneling just like really lent itself to that it was very cool yeah all of the people that he knows and like he's got a robotic buddy that stays by him all the time and he's like kind of his best friend he's his best buddy um they they're all building a wall like that's what their day job is they are they are putting together this wall and at some point he like questions like he talks to his robot buddy and is like why do you think we're doing this like what's the point and the robot buddy just has to like he gets a blank look on his face and it's just like processing <laughs> that question makes no sense because he would have never thought to think about that because nobody does they just do it I felt so bad for him with that straw thing. Like, have you guys ever tried to make a giant straw out of more straws? It doesn't work that well. Yeah. It requires a lot of effort. No one can figure out how to get the helmet off of him, so they just give him a super, super long straw, and he just has to eat soup, soup. all the time. Uh, it's hilarious. It's Ma- it's great. Imagine if you get something jammed in that straw. How are you going to get it out? You can't. Yeah. He, like, he has to take a bunch of pills, and he often misses his mouth because he can't directly put them on his tongue and so there's like a pile of pills that have like fallen behind his head in his helmet that he can't shake loose they're just floating yeah. 
It's ridiculous. Oh, that'd be so annoying. It'd be he so leaves annoying. them there. Yeah. And it's like every time he misses. So sometimes he gets it right, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah. Or cheese and beans. I cheese mean. and beans. Yep. That's his swear, which is probably. Uh, it's a really sounds good like swear. Sounds like a Claire swear. That sounds like a Claire swear. So um, that is Solid State by Jonathan Colton, Matt Fraction, and Albert Montese, um, published by Image Comics. It's excellent. I highly encourage you to pick it up if you like anything vaguely sci-fi and artificial intelligence based and maybe even post-apocalyptic. Even post-apocalyptic. I would definitely say that as well. Um, Definitely check it out. If you are into like crazy panel working and like what it means to push the boundaries of comic books. Yeah. That's what this is for. It's great. It has pretty colors, too. It has pretty colors. It does. Yeah, it does. Welcome to the Taser Zone. It's the highway to the Taser Zone. No? I mean, I got it. It just wasn't funny. (laughs) It never is. I'm never funny. So last time we did the Lady Skull, uh, we had a very wonderful person email us asking us to talk about Harley Quinn. We did not have time because Harley Quinn is a subject that takes quite a bit of time to talk about because there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, And because there's so much stuff going on and it can be a bit of a delicate subject, we're not actually going to talk about it for super long, but we figured it's definitely worth covering so it all is pretty well timed actually uh in fact over the weekend at san diego comic-con uh dc did announce that they would be essentially replacing batman day in september with harley day so usually batman day is kind of a celebration of all things batman they do a lot of promotional comics and stores have sales and costume contests and everything but this year being the 25th anniversary of harley quinn they decided that she would sort of take over so uh this fall we should be getting a lot of cool harley stuff and it's just going to be uh kind of way to celebrate her they just announced a big anniversary issue that's going to be coming out in the next few months that's got a bunch of different stories by different creators um so it's a great time to just kind of be talking about Harley and some of the big transitions that she's really gone through. For a character that's only been around 25 years, it is 25 impressive. 25 years, yeah. pretty new. I yeah. mean, it's like kind of like Deadpool if you look at the same thing. I mean, yeah. they have some of the biggest followings. Like Harley Quinn is one of the most requested comic book characters that we get in the store. And she's only been around, you know a quarter of the time that some of these other heroes have been around for. I've been around longer than Harley Quinn. <laughs> so is Claire. Oh. So is Charlie. Oh. So old. But Rachel's a shut, baby. Sh- shut it. <laughs> um, so, Amanda, why don't you tell us a bit about the origin of Harley Quinn? So, Harley Quinn first appeared on Batman the Animated Series. The best series. She was created by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim. To be a one-time henchman for Joker. Kind of really a prop for Joker is what she turned into. Just something to play Joker off of. Um, her popularity in the TV show resulted in a one-shot called Mad Love uh, that got deep into her origin and where she started. And the creators kind of paint her as this woman who got through college 
sleeping with professors to end up at the top of her class and she's really only she only wants fame and she decides she's going to be a psychologist at Arkham Asylum and she's going to make all this money and become famous because she's going to be treating Joker and she's going to write a tell-all about him and instead of her becoming this highly uh, sought after and admired psychologist she falls in love with the Joker he twists her mind and they she throws away her career her this bright and exciting career in front of her to help him escape and enters into a really horrible relationship with this dude who's very twisted uh, he he beats her and puts her in the hospital and she comes back over and over and over and I'm pretty like he definitely shoots her at some point. He shoots her out of a cannon, also. Yeah, it's it's very very toxic. Yeah. In Mad Love, he 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 tosses kicks her, her up a building, out a window. Right? Yeah. yeah, 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 and like tries to feed her to dogs. And then she is in the hospital after this all happens, and he sends a rose to her. Not even a bouquet, just Not, one rose. Yeah, one rose, <laughs> and that is all it takes for her to go back to him. And. I personally had I had an issue with this just because uh, Tim, uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Tim really seemed to not put any thought into the creation of this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did not care about the fact that there are real women who go through this and that's super problematic in so many ways. Uh, in fact, Bruce Tim in in the Mad Love trade paperback, talks about how he was inspired by his friend who was in an unhealthy relationship, though not violent. But it's okay now. She's in a healthy relationship and everything's fine. And it just put a really bad taste in my mouth when researching the creation and origin of Harley Quinn. Yeah. Um, And so I will clear the air a little bit here and say that uh, I don't think any of us on this podcast at the moment are particularly large fans of Harley Quinn. Um, and that could... There's there's quite a few different reasons for that. There uh, is just, you know, the abuse in, in that and how um, her and the Joker's relationship tends to be idolized. And, like, there's a lot of stuff on the internet about how people want a relationship, like Harley and relationship Joker. Relationship like, goals. Yeah, uh. like, don't, don't do that. Um, and also... And also, it just comes down to quality. Uh, honestly, there have been some really, really terrible Harley Quinn books out there. Like, just straight up, they didn't have good writers, and they weren't very well made or thought out. Um, and and so there is a huge difference between the original Harley Quinn, who looked like a Harlequin. Like, she wore a very specific... Everybody has seen that costume. She wore a very specific costume with the hat with the bells on it. And... Um, and versus the Harley Quinn that we have now, who is um, in the comics a bit more biker gangy, like she wears like short shorts and like a leather top, and um, her hair is dyed red and black and in pigtails rather than wearing a hat. Um, I don't think anyone in a biker gang would wear that. I don't think so either, because when you're <laughs> on a bike, you're going super fast. And She's when stuff girl. flies at you, oh, yeah, it, a oh, derby yeah. girl makes a lot more sense. Yes, too. that also. Yeah, that one's it's fair. definitely Derby Girl, not Biker Gang. But so there's there's definitely a difference between the old original Harley and the current Harley that we have now. Not thinking about the Suicide Squad, uh, Margot Robbie portrayal, 
but just like the current image of Harley Quinn. Um, and Charlie, you looked into like kind of more, you looked more into like what she is now. Yeah, it's a very interesting history because. So to be honest, I mean, while we're talking on like costume changes and stuff, she basically wore the like the Harlequin jumpsuit, the jester suit, basically up until maybe 2009, 2010, until when the new 52 launched. She kind of popped in and out of comics. I mean, she wasn't really super prevalent until I think early 2001. She got her own series by uh, Carl Kersel and art by Terry Dotson, who is a fantastic artist, by the way. But <laughs> she, you know, maintained the same costume. And that was actually, I think in that series, it actually, I think was a big flop. But I think they were trying to bring that larger than life Harley personality to the series there, the, the kind of tricks and jokes and the goofiness about Harley. But a lot of people had an issue because when she's also trying to be in a relationship with the Joker, who in the comic books is a much darker character than Batman animated series. I mean, we talk about the abuse that she goes through in the animated series, but Joker in the comics versus Joker in the series is a lot different. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's, he's a murderer. He's a terrorist. He's a very bad person in the comic books. And so for her to be in love with this bad person, just like, I think it it set a lot of readers off, you know, it it took like a darker, more violent tone, but then at the same time, they were still trying to do like, here's Goofy Harley. And I think the whole series was kind of a bit of a flop, but I definitely, I I know that it's now been collected into, I think just one book. And I kind of want to go back and, and give it a look Mm that looking through it, it looked like there maybe be some interesting things about it, but that lasted a couple of years. And then she kind of didn't really she had some roles and some crossovers in different parts but didn't really do her own thing until 2009 which was a pretty big year for harley um gotham city sirens came out and that was a sort of a team-up book with harley quinn and catwoman and poison ivy who had kind of varying degrees of friendship um i think her friendship with Poison Ivy really started to cement in that book and they spent a lot of time together and it was always kind of they were on the rocks a little bit with Catwoman who was on and off in between like helping out Batman and sometimes being a good guy and sometimes being a bad guy. They actually go a little bit in depth in that series on Harley Quinn's backstory and talk about how the reason she actually wanted to become a psychologist was because her she had a very 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 bad family life and came from a seriously broken home and she felt that if she went into psychology it would help her better understand why what was so wrong with her family and her parents and if there was anything she could do to to fix that and i mean it's really it's sad it's it's very dark and to think that like that turn of events you know i mean it definitely adds another layer of depth and dimension into this character that suffers so much abuse and maybe the reasons why that she would kind of keep going back to that um but later on that year i think is something that came out that really kind of put harley on the map for a lot of harley fans now and that was the first installment of the arkham batman games and it was batman arkham asylum that's where you see the big first kind of costume change for harley going away from like the jester costume to maybe a little bit more like revealing short skirts pigtails is that, that sort the, of the, thing. the leather get up that she had? uh it's yeah it almost looks like a i feel like it almost looks like a like a nurse's costume or something like it's, yeah, oh, yeah. Right. it's like a skirt <laughs> right um uh but it, i think it was pretty iconic they actually still kept the same voice actor who did harley quinn from the animated series i think she dropped off after that one but they did use the same voice actor which is kind of cool but um 
that series, I mean, if anyone's played an Arkham game, they're dark, they're very gritty, they're violent. Even Joker in the game addresses his abuse towards Harley and calls it a hobby for himself. I mean, it's mm-hmm. super dark. They're definitely um, post-Christopher Nolan. Yes, yep. Like, they uh, have that darkness and that... Um, it's very grim. Like, yeah. I think that that set a lot of the tone for DC for things to come, and I think that's where a lot of Harley fans kind of pulled... I think when you even when you're talking about younger Harley fans that maybe have never even really seen much of the animated series, uh, I think that a lot of Harley fandom comes from the Arkham Ar- Arkham games and the darkness that they kind of put into the character. Um, they they led that into the launch of the New Fifty Two a couple years later, and there was a short run of Suicide Squad where they really tried to test that out with Harley. They she was. I think she was like murdering people it was really super dark she was really unhinged and that actually didn't do so well and i think now we're getting into the age of harley where they're trying to actually flesh her out into her own character a little bit more um the it's a husband and wife duo jimmy palmiotti and amanda connor they took over and launched uh the first harley quinn solo series since the early 2000s and Harley Quinn has since had a falling out with the Joker. They've broken up, so to speak, and have very little crossover. She doesn't even really fall in line with Bat Family stuff that often. She's kind of on her own, doing her own thing. I think she's living in, like, Harlem or Brooklyn now. She's living in Brooklyn, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, or in later in the New 52 run, around, I know in Volume 5 for sure okay. she's living in Brooklyn. But. She's kind of this, like, almost anti... She's definitely, like, an anti-hero. I think she tries to do more good, and it, she'll obviously do that by whatever means necessary. But, um, you know, she she helps people, and, you know, she also... You know, she's a bruiser on the side. She joins, like, a, a derby group and, you know, hangs out with a bunch of badasses. But uh, it's kind of cool to see the way that uh, Amanda Connor has tried to change up the character i think she's writing the series now for a rebirth but mm-hmm. um yeah it's just nice to kind of see her on her own doing her own thing she's in dcns she's in this kind of open relationship with poison ivy who she's been a longtime friend with so to move away from the joker and to see harley yeah i think that's interesting and one thing is you said like i, I think none of us here are necessarily huge harley fans but I I read a couple of quotes from people over the years talking about their thoughts on Harley Quinn and something that kind of made me think twice a little bit about maybe how I thought about her was I think maybe looking at one of DC's biggest heroines, which is Wonder Woman, who kind of is like put up as sort of this perfect individual. Like uh, she fights for good and justice. She's always making the good calls. Like, you know, it doesn't get any better than Wonder Woman, right? But mm-hmm. then on the other side of that, you have Harley Quinn, who brings in a lot of imperfection and has problems, and is just and like doing real the best life she problems. Can. Like, yeah, it is. So think... It is abuse is real, and like yeah. having a broken home is real. Like being an Amazonian and speaking five hundred different languages—that's not real. But I definitely felt like I could kind of better identify with. Um, people that follow Harley Quinn, I think a lot of people may not understand like, you know, the depths of all her backstory and everything, but you know, on a surface level, I think there's a lot of things about Harley that people can identify with. And, mm-hmm. you know, they but, might talk to aspects of her is, is she just does what she wants and she, you know, yeah, she, she is. No, she has no regrets. <laughs> she is very much a, uh, empowered female who has an unapologetic personality. 
Um, but that being said, there are, especially for us who work in the comic book industry, we see a lot of very young women, as young as like, you know, five or six. Yeah, I think I had like a seven-year-old ask the other day. Yeah, they come in and they look for Harley Quinn stuff and they like, they like, especially this past Halloween, because Suicide Squad had come out, there were lots of children who were dressed as Harley Quinn. Mm -hmm. And it makes us feel ways (laughs) about things. I always feel bad. I mean, this is similar with, you know, and I see why, I see why a little girl could be so excited about this. You know, here's this cool female character who does what she wants and she's funny and she's loud and she kicks butt mm-hmm. but there just there aren't any comics for that I mean the closest thing would be those Batman animated series comics and I, I want to be able to find more to recommend them I yeah. would I would There's... love to see some more I know um like the DC is now putting out the DC super uh super girls super yeah. girls yeah <laughs> which is basically an adaption of like a, a show that they've got out now and I mean, I don't know that uh, sometimes the art style looks a little bit too, like, Barbie-esque for me. But um, I and think it it does a good job of having, like, a Harley that's a Harley that is approachable to kids. Like, they take the good aspects about her as, as being, like, you know, she's really funny. And she's definitely, like, the joker of the group. But um, but those seem a little more even for, like, younger kids. I'm, they're for young readers. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I'm always at a loss of what to give, you know, like a 10-year-old or something. I would love mm-hmm. to be able to give them something of this character that they love. Yeah. But in, in some ways, it makes me a little bit sad when I see young women come in and idolize her. Um, because there is, there, there should not be any idolization or glorification in mental illness and dysfunctional abusive relationships. And, you know, it's, it's like young women on like will post on the internet all the time, like relationship goals and like shit like that about Harley and the Joker. And it's upsetting. And I will absolutely admit that the comics, the comics have come a long way with Harley. Um, like I, last night I read both Mad Love and like one of the final volumes for the new 52 Harley Quinn. I read them back to back. I specifically read the new 52 book wherein she has long since broken up with the Joker and is with Poison Ivy, but also has a boyfriend on the side. Um, and she is breaking her boyfriend out of jail and the Joker is, um, in the cell right next to his. And she like almost has a mental breakdown because like that that is something that does actually happen like that is a real life scenario that i am i actually have to say i'm very proud of them for putting that in the comics of like how somebody would react to seeing an abuser and she goes and she locks herself in his cell and she beats the ever-loving shit out of him while just like saying shit like you will never have me again i am not your property like all of this stuff and so having the very stark or the very stark uh, disconnect between the original Harley and what she is moving into now. I'm very glad to see that they're starting to get it. I definitely think that after before I doing all of this research and reading so much Harley Quinn, like I was like, I don't get it. What the hell is mm-hmm. going on with this character? I'm not into it. Uh, but I really think that it's a character that a lot of people could relate to that mm-hmm. could be written really well. Her creation was horrible, and yes. and it's it's the creator's fault. It's yes. not this character's fault. Yep. She's an imaginary thing. Uh, but I think that DC 
really, really, really needs to take responsibility and really needs to get their shit together and make sure that they have good writers writing. And they do right now. Like, I, I like what I've mm-hmm. read so far. But to far. keep it going. Yeah. 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 So I, uh, earlier today, I spoke with another Vault of Midnight employee, Ashley, who is our resident Harley nut. Like, she loves Harley. And I really, really wanted to get her opinion because, as I said, like, none of us in this room are particularly into Harley. But Ashley was a super huge fan, and so I really wanted to know what is it specifically about Harley that that you like? Because of all the like negativity that can surround her, what is it that uh, that draws you to her? And pretty much her response uh, was that she is a very strong individual person who doesn't need other people to take care of her. And if you look at a lot of the... Um, the big two, your Marvel and your DC, and you look for those strong, unique, individual female leads, there aren't actually a lot of them who can take care of themselves. There's a lot of them like um, who, who need a, another person. They are the sidekick. And it was unique for Harley, um, as Ashley said, that she went from being a sidekick to somebody who was completely on her own and could be completely individual and could overcome something as big as the Joker. And I completely respect that. Like, I I have to say, before doing the research for this podcast, like you, Amanda, I was just very much not understanding of it. I didn't get it. I didn't really like it. Now that I know about it, I still don't really like it that much, but I get it. And I would never, ever shame somebody for being into Harley Quinn. Um, what I will say that I really, really hate about the character is that her sexuality and her sexual expression doesn't really seem like a choice for her. It seems like it is a choice for um often the men who are writing her personality and designing her appearance and it becomes something to tantalize the male view and it is you know she's an accessory or a label or a property and i'm not a fan of that you know that's super dangerous too because there are so many young women who are very impressionable and men young women and young men who are into this character and they're gonna think that that's okay yeah and it's not yeah but, you know, if you like Harley, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't aspire to have relationship goals like the Joker. You, you can know things are problematic yeah. and still like them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If you like roller derby girls, then that's awesome. And you definitely should read some Harley books. That's great. And for a but, more slightly more positive thing, like we were saying before, like I, the way she's been going the direction she has started going lately with the new 52 or not yeah the end of the new 52 stuff and the rebirth stuff has been pretty cool and yeah i think if they keep that up and keep going i might wind up you know i could see myself maybe becoming a fan in the future mm-hmm. i think we'll soon be at the point where i mean she doesn't really even need to be associated so much with the joker that'd She's be just, awesome it's, it's not necessarily harley plus the joker it's just her like one thing i think and re- doing a lot of this research that kind of made me like draw, I guess a slight comparison is sort of like the history of like uh, Captain Marvel, as far as like sh- a character who's been through yeah. a lot and does have some feminist roots for sure, but has also gone under, you know, the hands of some serious bad abuse and like has a very, very rocky history. But the way that Marvel was sort of able to take some of that bad stuff and 
kind of reinvent her into a feminist icon is cool. And I think that eventually I think we can get there. Yeah. So we cannot spend the entire podcast on Harley Quinn. I know this is already uh, an extra long episode, but we're extra great, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> you're extra great, Amanda. You're I think, extra I great. I think you're Claire's, extra great. You're, you're all, all extra great. great. <laughs> <laughs> that worked out well. They just made some really oh. great faces. <laughs> um, so we will address one listener question um, while we are all sitting here. Um, this comes from Jonathan. Jonathan says, I work with students with reading disabilities, and some of them happen to be female. I would like to know some recommendations for graphic novels for my female students in particular. Please remember that I work with students from the ages of 14 through 18, so nothing super extreme. Um, it would be nice if you have some options with female authors. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, Amanda, why don't you tell me, uh, one thing that you would recommend? I would recommend a book called Nemona. That's a wonderful book. Uh, it's so great. It is written by and drawn by Noelle Stevenson. It was originally a really amazing webcomic. And it is about this girl, Nemona, who's a shapeshifter, who really wants to be the sidekick to the villain in this land, who maybe turns out not to be a villain. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so great. It's really wonderful. I, there are so many things I could say about it, but I don't want to give anything away because yeah. it's just all, really great. To all you really need to know out. is that like sometimes she turns into a bear because she just feels like punching things, or a dragon, or a dragon, or a fox because she can. Why it's not? Great. I'd be a dragon. Oh, it's awesome! Yeah. I like the way that you get to see uh, Noelle Stevenson's like art evolve over the yeah. course of the book too, since it, she was right or working on it for so long. It's yeah. really great. Yeah, I read it in its web format originally and it's very very cool so that's Nimona by Noelle Stevenson um, and that is uh, that's just one graphic novel that's in a, not a series it's a one and done and everyone should read that whether you're a student or not go find it grown ups should read it grown ups yeah. should read it comics aren't for kids anymore weird Charlie what would Hello. you recommend you know I actually think I want to talk about This One Summer by mm -hmm. uh, Jillian and Mariko Tamaki. Um, both have different comics out as well. They're excellent creators and definitely um, worth checking into. But uh, this is just one graphic novel. came out maybe two years ago and has since like continued to just leave an impression on me. Um, it's essentially kind of almost like a reads almost like a kind of a memoir of this young girl and like her experiences going to this sort of summer house every summer she would go there and and meet a friend and it's kind of this coming of age story they they grow into their teenage years and you know become more interested in boys and start to kind of uh start to tune into things that were kind of going on in the adult world and sort of the complexities of becoming an adult um as a forewarning, there is some maybe more mature content. I think it's definitely something, I think they have said that this could be sort of like a young teen and up, like 12 to 18. However, I know that um, there's been some debate as to the suitable age range, but I think that like 14 to 18, I would absolutely recommend it. It's definitely got some very real emotional things going on but I think it's the perfect type of book to be reading at that age especially when you're starting to kind of um, 
you know, you're going to be growing into adulthood and it's the perfect coming of age story. Mm-hmm. Aren't the, um, the characters in that book kind of around that age range too? They are around that age. Yep. And it's, it's really cool. Cause you just feel like you're growing with them. Um, and I don't know. I think it's really nice to experience sadness and emotion and real life things in books from time to time too, especially mm-hmm. at that age. Um, you know, while people are growing and you're just learning about life and how things go. So I absolutely recommend it. It's probably one of my favorite graphic novels actually of all time. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish that I had a book like that. Um, of course, you know, and I was like, 14 years old I was probably like super deep into Harry Potter at that time but I kind of wish that I had something like this one summer because I never really you know it's it's characters that I felt like I could have really related to so so many of the books that I recommend to kids around that age are books that I wish I had when I was that age like so much yeah um so Claire what would you recommend so I kind of push this one on any kids that age and even I'll even push it on kids like as young as like maybe 12 or 10 Miss Marvel so this is the one that I push on kids that age just because I think every kid I think every human should read Miss Marvel but especially kids at that age where they're learning and figuring things out um the series by G Willow Wilson and uh, Adrian Alfona was the uh starting artist and currently the artist is I'm gonna say this wrong Takeshi Miyazawa good job um yay close enough (laughs) Um, but, um, it's a really, really wonderful comic about this girl in high school just growing up and, you know, she happens to get superpowers and is just trying to be a really good person. It's amazing. And it it teaches some amazing life lessons that Mm -hmm. I think are really, really important. And like, I swear, like every story arc has a bit that makes me cry a ton because it's so meaningful and I wish more people would like learn these things yeah like uh one of my favorite examples is like when she first meets the character who's like her best friend they do like a flashback thing and he's this kind of smelly boy in the corner who like no one wants to hang out with and her mom's like hey hey go go hang out with him she's like i don't want to he's smelly and and her mom (laughs) immediately says hey don't you ever say anything so hurtful like that you know you don't know what this kid's been through because it turns out his parents i think were like getting divorced and he didn't have anywhere to stay and he hadn't been able he hadn't been anywhere with a shower for a few days so he couldn't shower like i just yeah. i think those kind of lessons are so so important for kids to learn absolutely yeah it, that is just like a really really wonderful series that anyone of any age should read yes i give that everyone. i've given that to people as young as like 9 or 10 yeah like, yeah if you can read you should read it yeah and it's not all, you know, super serious either. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of cool, fun stuff. Like, there's an issue that she's in of uh, uh, All New, All Different Avengers that's all about the fan fiction she writes. She's, like, a huge geek. <gasps> that it's issue great. is so good. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Um, so the series that I want to talk about is actually, um, I think it definitely identifies as an all-ages book. Um, and it's a series called Amulet. Oh, yes. And I don't know that I need to sell this book anymore because <laughs> everybody knows that it exists and everybody knows how wonderful it is. But it is, I honestly, I went back and reread it recently and it just blew my mind with how good it is. The, it, the story is about these two kids who 
um, lost their dad at a very early age. So they um, move into their mom's dad's house, their grandfather. He was a crazy inventor who hasn't been seen in years. Like, he just disappeared. Everybody just thought that he was crazy and just ran away. Um, and so they're going through his house. There's all these crazy inventions. They find this really awesome-looking amulet necklace, and it opens a portal in their basement. And all of these monsters start coming out, and one of their monsters kidnaps their mom. And they run down to the basement, see the portal, jump through it, and they are teleported into this crazy land of magic and robots and elves versus humans and like it covers all of your fantasy it covers all of your sci-fi they like ride around on these giant mushrooms like mary poppins <laughs> it's awesome and there's a lot of it there's like eight volumes to it seven. right now seven right now i think they're gonna end at nine um but it's also so as jonathan mentioned in the above question um he works with students with reading disabilities. This is this is one of my favorite comics because the storytelling is 100% the art. Um, all movement, all interaction is all through the artwork. There's not a lot of dialogue in it in general. And um, because it is an all-ages book, like the dialogue is relatively large and pretty minimal, but it's just an incredible story. Like, there's so many times where I've given this to kids and I've told the parents, like, hey, you should definitely read this with them. And they come back for, like, the next book or whatever. And they're like, ah, this is the best thing. And I'm like, yes. I, I feel like that's I, what you want. I hear it get compared to Harry Potter a bit yeah, in terms absolutely. of, like, scale of epicness and stuff like yeah. that. And I think that's especially great for kids, you know, with reading disabilities. Yeah. Because maybe they're feeling super left out that they can't read Harry, you know, that yeah. they're having a hard time getting through Harry absolutely. Potter. Absolutely. And so the artwork does a little look a little bit childish in some ways. Like, it's, it's very stylized. The people look, uh, they definitely look more cartoony. They've got big eyes and kind of like a round very round faces but if you especially with like kids who are super into artwork the artwork is so detailed and so well painted it's just it's beautiful every page is just it's astounding i love it also there are dog people there are also dog people and that is super important sold um, <laughs> we have so many other books that we would like to recommend but um, we're super, super, super over time, and I think the library is going to kick us out pretty soon. So, ladies, it's been really, really wonderful. I love doing this. I know it doesn't get to happen very often, but sometimes it's nice to give the dudes a break. Let's <laughs> force them to make it happen more. Yeah, like, like, probably. We could beat them up and then, you know, just you could. take their spot. I might be able to. I don't know. To. You two together, I think... Could I definitely. Know. I mean, with Marcus, you just say boo, and he just kind of goes, Ugh. Oh, I'll take care of Marcus. You two get Curtis okay. and Nick, because they're the real difficult ones. They're the real problem? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it could be like a glow episode. Ooh. Ooh. That'd be cool. Yeah. We'll record it. I'm just picturing <laughs> that now. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, Charlie, thank you so much for joining us again. It's always really wonderful to have you with us. Thanks. Maybe one of these times I'll be there in person. That would be the best. so cool. I just, I love Charlie time. Um, Amanda, Claire, Charlie, it's been wonderful. This has been another episode of Super Skull. Our producer and editor is me, Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. 
The Super Skull is recorded every week here at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please subscribe, download, and review Super Skull on iTunes or Stitcher if you would. It helps us out a lot, actually. It really does. Reviews are super, super necessary uh, because otherwise the iTunes search function doesn't work properly. It's really stupid, so you should you should give us a review. And don't forget to follow us on our Twitters, Facebooks, and our website. Super Skull Show is how you can find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff, and podcasts since 1996. My name is Rachel Polk. I'm Claire Herding. I'm Charlie Cooker. And I'm Amanda Reyes Aquino. And it has been wonderful to be with you all again this week. We will hopefully talk to you guys soon. See you soon. Now, you do, are okay with that? do lady skulls look different than man skulls? Actually, technically, yes. Okay. Uh, they, uh, I'm not going to get into it, but yes. Yes, they do. Do they look prettier? Always, Do yes. they look scarier? Uh, yeah. Also that.